You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to What's Wrong With This Picture. This episode we're looking at Beat Girl, a 1960 film directed by Edmund T. Greville and starring Gillian Hills as Jennifer Linden, David Farrer as Paul Linden, Noel Adam as Nicole, Adam Faith, Faith as Dave, Christopher Lee as Kenny King and a supporting cast of crazy kids including breakthrough roles for Oliver Reed, Shirley Anfield and Peter McHenry. Our movie starts in London uh, with Paul Linden, played by David Farrer, who is a wealthy and prominent architect returning home from Paris, uh, where he has married a girl, um, 24-year-old Nicole, um, who in Paris. Um, uh, he is anxious to introduce um, his new wife, Nicole, to his teenage daughter, uh, Jennifer. But Jennifer is not exactly delighted to meet um, a new stepmother who is barely any older than she is. Um, after Paul and Nicole go to bed, uh, Jennifer sneaks out to the offbeat cafe in Soho for an evening of rock music and dancing with her friends, uh, which include Dave, uh, played by Adam Faith, who is a youth from a working class background who plays guitar and writes songs. Um, and there is Tony, um, there is Dodo, uh, who is played by Shirley Anfield, and uh, there is a um, gentleman who is only known as Plaid Shirt, who is played by Oliver Reed. Um, <laughs> we see lots of uh, fantastic frogging in a basement uh, nightclub um, to the strains of the John Barry Seven and the theme from Beat Girl, uh, which is just awesome. Anyway, the next day, uh, Nicole plans to meet Jennifer at St. Martin's School of Art, uh, where she is studying. Uh, it all goes a bit tits up uh, because Jennifer is extremely hostile uh, to Nicole. Um, and then on the way out, as she is basically ghosted and frosted out by Jennifer, uh, she bumps into someone she appears to know. Uh, this is a woman called Greta, who is apparently a stripper, and all of the kids um, know that she is a stripper in a nightclub in Soho and are very curious as to why um, Nicole um, knows her. So, Lindsay, yeah. what's weird about Beat Girl? I th well, it, in a sense, I'm not entirely sure because I think you perhaps think this is weirder than I do. But right, okay. I think, yeah, it's 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 one of these kind of uh, teens things. And I was reading something that people viewed it as a, the first authentic British view mm -hmm. of certainly a teenage girl who's mm. who's Jennifer, played by Jennifer uh, by Gillian Hills, I should say. Um, I, I mean, she's a total brat throughout this, isn't yeah. she? So she's not a very appealing protagonist in many ways. Uh, but I think. What what is weird is the performances, chief chiefly hers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. David Farrer's is also something to behold, I think. Yeah. But but uh, yeah, I just find the performances really weird. So you mentioned that um, Paul, uh, the the father, is an architect. Yes. And he's got this idea for City Two Thousand. Yes. You know, in in like in the sixties until really the nineties, everything that was two thousand was like immensely yeah, yeah so futuristic. immensely futuristic. Isn't there like a men's hair dye called something 2000? Grecian 2000. Grecian 2000, that's right. It's, yeah. It stops you going grey. Oh, yeah. In the year 2000, <laughs> no, apparently. 
So Paul's designed Grecian 2000, I mean City 2000, uh, <laughs> which is the city of the, the future. And it's all kind of sterile tower blocks. And what is it? He's, he's after silence. and Yeah, it? absolutely. It basically, it, it, it's, it's this really scary vision of life that basically comes down to people don't like people. They don't want any contact or any interaction with people. So I've built a whole bunch of buildings where people will have no contact whatsoever with other people. Yeah. And then they'll be happy. And, you know, basically what you're looking at in this model in his living room is modern London with a load of skyscrapers, yeah. uh, you know, that we all want pulled down now. Yeah, yeah. And the, the ennui that comes with uh, with modern London. And the, the, the reason I think this model is, is uh, interesting for me in a film is because it's like that. We're talking about Chekhov again, but you know that if you show a gun in Act 1, it's got to be fired in Act 3. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you show this very careful model in Act 1 and there's a teenage party in Act 3 and, and nothing. nothing happens. Nobody goes near this model. It's never mentioned again. But um, Jennifer is complaining about it because she says to Nicole, it's all he cares about, it, you, he, implying that he doesn't really, he hasn't really been able to show his daughter any love or attention. He's one of these bad dads that we yes, hear so much absolutely. about. Absolutely. Um, and because all his love and attention has gone into this model and this idea of City 2000. But it's kind of like, it's an idea that goes nowhere, is it? We don't really yeah. hear about it again after about the first 20 minutes. It's never mentioned. His architecture is never mentioned. His distance is well, never mentioned. Well, I think mentioned. that leads nicely to, to one of the things I think is weird about it. Um, this film is badly written, yeah, but beautifully shot. Yeah. And that is really dislocating. So you're looking at this film, it's black and white, monochrome. Some of the scenes, um, in particular, you know, the, the scenes in basement clubs and the scenes, a rave in a cave, um, and just in case you thought that was something that they invented in the late 80s, um, you know, are just stunning to yeah, look at. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, the, the set, the, it's, it, Soho is obviously a set, but it's so beautifully yeah, built and designed yeah. and it really feels like you're in Soho, you know. And uh, it's a gorgeous piece of directing and camera work and, and a crazy script. And also the performances, they, in terms of the acting, they are all uniformly Terrible. appalling. But in terms of the presence of the actors, yes. they're outstanding. Yeah, so it, 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 and And that's very weird in itself. Gillian Hill's in a conventional sense, can't act. But good God, the camera loves that woman. Yeah. And and she manages to put over all sorts of things that are quite, frankly, sick and wrong, Lindsay. Yes, I think that's true. So, yeah, um, just looking at Gillian Hills, her, her, her acting style is... This is going to sound mean, actually, because she <laughs> was only 15 when this film was made. 15? Uh, yes. No, she, looks she like wasn't. She was. She looks like one of those teenagers like Olivia Newton-John or Stockard Channing who yeah, are in their 30s exactly. and playing a teen. But no, she was actually 15. Wow. Um, and she was okay, discovered in, in inverted commas by Roger Vadim in Paris the ah, year before. Of course so she was. With all, the, uh, with all the, no doubt, icky stuff that comes with being discovered by Roger Vadim as a teenager. Mm. Um, but her, her parents had separated and her mother had moved to Paris. So she does speak French and she's, you know, she was mm. brought up in France, um, discovered by Roger Vadim, who wanted to make her the next Bardot. But luckily right. she escaped that particular fate. Yes. Um, <laughs> so she is, only, she is only 15 when she's in this film and this is obviously her, her first film. So I feel slightly mean talking about her acting style, but I'm going to do it because yeah, that's what to. we're here for. Got that's to. what we're here for. So she's got a slight problem with emphasis I would say so there's a couple of times where she says she's talking about her father's 
uh, kind of city and it's it's all kind of you know dreamy eyed nonsense and she says it's Superman stuff and then some <laughs> and it's like no Gillian it's and, and then, then some, some. <laughs> and she, she does it she does it again when Nicole comes to see her and she says why have you come here to embarrass me like this yeah and it's like you wanted her to embarrass you in a different way and so it, it's, it's just it's slightly wrong it's slightly it's it's more endearing when you know she's I 15 I agree you know, if she's doing this since she's 25, you think, mm, come on. And also maybe I- explicable in the fact that Edward Edmund T. Greville was French. Yeah. So he's shooting a film in English, yeah. in England, and he's French. And perhaps he doesn't, he's not sure yeah. about which words are supposed <laughs> yeah. to be emphasised in this script. And it certainly seems like, um, you know, Noel Adam, who is is obviously, you know, playing Nicole. a dodgy stepmom, yeah. um, um, is, you know, I mean, her acting performance is just... just so blisteringly bad that yeah. it's it's almost it almost goes into that Ed Wood world of, of yeah. uh, I'm watching this like a car crash you yeah. know it, it's just stunningly good yeah. and she was very much cast let's face it for her looks yeah. um, but then you've got David Farrer who is a hugely experienced yeah. you know theatre and film actor has made a couple of absolutely brilliant films with Michael Powell and Merrick Pressburger and it works for the film that he is quite plainly slumming it. This is quite plainly yeah. not something he ever thought he was going to be doing. And therefore, he is plainly bewildered by what everyone is. It's almost like he's so bewildered about how on earth did I reach this point that he is perfectly channeling a father who doesn't understand a clue yeah. what his own daughter is saying to him. He's, he's not having to act. I mean, we'll come on to the dialogue in a bit because there is some excellent slang. But Paul is so square, he doesn't know what square means. Yeah. He's kind of like, yeah. what are you talking about What are you about talking square? about square? <laughs> well, you know that those buildings you keep building. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we better have some more plot, otherwise none of this is going to make any sense, is it? So... Um, uh, yeah, so later that night, um, Je- Jennifer uh, attempts to embarrass Nicole in front of her guests by bringing up the encounter with Greta. And to cut a long story short, um, Greta, uh, sorry, Ni- uh, Jennifer goes to the strip club to ask Greta what the hell is going on. Um, while she's there, she meets Kenny King, who is the uh, the owner of this strip club. And it becomes quite clear after a couple of sentences that he is also a pimp. And that Greta is uh, one of the woman, women that he has pimped out. And um, it also becomes clear that Greta and Nicole did uh, work together in Paris and both stripped. And yes, both, you know, uh, sex worked, I think is the modern expression. Yeah. So, um, you know, Lindsay, I can see she really wants to say something here. So I'm going to let her break in. No, no, I was just going to say that Nicole says at some point, uh, yes, and, and sometimes I accepted the rent money instead of a bunch of roses. Like, All right, okay. Well, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess. So good for you. Yeah, the the brilliant defensiveness of this conversation is like, what's your problem? Yeah. What, what is your problem? So, you know, I slept with people for money. So so what? She doesn't even manage to get as far as the, isn't every wife in the world sleeping, yeah, you know, the feminist yeah, yeah. point of, you know, effectively sleeping with men for money. Nope, she doesn't even manage that. It's just like, I took I took cash instead of roses. I, you know, yeah. What's your problem? Yeah. Oh, I love it. And David Farrow's like, oh, darling, I love you. <laughs> I'll, I'll overlook your flaws because you're 24 and you're yeah, French yeah. and I'm some middle-aged, I'm 60. <laughs> some middle-aged get looking forward to City 2000. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, let's see. Um, yes, so um, there's a big old row. Um, sort of Jennifer comes out of the strip club. But Gen- uh, Jennifer is now fascinated by what is going on in the strip club. 
Um, I'm trying to remember if she actually what it, that's the point where she actually sees a strip, but we'll get to that because uh, oh that's my a, God, that's stripping scene. That's an extraordinary scene, and we'll yeah. get there. But anyway, so um, she goes and sees her friends again. So you know, Adam Faith and the gang, um, and they go and have their rave at Chislehurst Caves. Um, there is a, a, a conversation which attempts to give this film a bit of context, uh, which is kind of key, which is about uh, the kids talking about the fact that they were brought up after the war uh, in a country that is just rubble and they feel like rats that have been scrambling amongst the rubble um it's not just that my parents don't understand me although that's part of it it is you know we don't really know what we're for and we just feel that the bomb's going to drop any second because that's what we've been brought up with um they end up doing a thing which is quite clearly uh, pinched off of uh, rebel without a cause um uh, the the legendary chicken run um so basically the, the british version uh, in beat girl is they all lay their heads on a train track while a train's coming um and it turns out that guess what jennifer is braver uh, than dave who thinks he's hard um and is the last person to pick her head off um the the the, the train track um they go back to town to to party and they and she invites them all to her flat um this turns into a big row because obviously Nicole doesn't want them there and everything comes out about um, Nicole's past life, the conversation we've just mentioned uh, with um, Paul. Can I just say, this this party that happens in their house, Yes, is Nicole like the deepest sleeper in the world? Because there's yeah. like 20 young people, there's a live band, Yeah, they're dancing. <laughs> oh yeah, we should mention the live band just, just yeah, turn up yeah. anywhere they go, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So there's this live band that they're, they're, they're dancing. Uh, Dodo sings a song. Nicole is like sleeping blissfully through yeah. all through this to Jennifer's chagrin, which is why she picks up something like an ashtray or something and throws it at her door yeah. because Jennifer starts to do her own her own striptease um, and she wants Nicole to see it because she's she's a, a rebel. Yes. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed this in the film, and it, it became clear when I understood that she was only 15. Mm. So she starts to kind of do the do the striptease. And then you don't see her face. You see the hands as they're kind of peeling mm, things off her body. Mm. And presumably, in those, even in those days, they had some notion that maybe a 15-year-old girl shouldn't actually be stripteasing for a, for a Yeah, film absolutely. And, and replaced absolutely. her with a, with, a, with a body double. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. But I, I just think, you know, Nicole's past is obviously not calling it, causing her any sleepless nights because she is sleeping the sleep of the just throughout <laughs> all this noise that's going on in the in the, in the the house. Yeah, and, and uh, so, yeah. So uh, that is, you know, we'll, we'll leave the plot there for a minute because the ending is, is, is pretty wonderful, actually. But um, before we get to the ending, um, we really have to talk about... Beat, we, we have to talk about beat talk. Beat talk. Beat talk, yeah. We have to talk about beat talk, Lindsay. Yeah, it's because I think a lot of it is, is quite uncomfortable. <laughs> um, I mean, none of it sounds natural. And nope. I, I wondered, is it is it real American slang? Is it real British slang? Or is it is it just made up? Or is the dislocation that, you know, some of the people saying this are incredibly posh yeah. kind of rada actors yeah. so Shirley Ann Field in particular who yeah. pl- plays Dodo is incredibly posh and she, so she sends, says something at one point about Adam Faith and his playing he sends me over and out and it's just like <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> um, Peter McHenry um, 
Well, oh no, you you made a note of this, didn't you? What's Peter McHenry's one? Oh yeah, so um, Adam Faith uh, Dave sings this song. You're a gasser, that's a fact, and I can never relax till I've made you. So okay, okay. Um, and then uh, Tony says, "Great dad, great, straight from the fridge." <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think, this is my theory, you know, is this real American jive talk or is this a British take on it or have they just made it up? I think there's bits of it that are based around, you know, real language that people, kids were saying at the time. Yeah. Some of it may be from actual kids, some of it a bit from movies. Um, I think, you know, stuff like squares and whatever um, and and daddy-o. Um, oh, but yeah. I think they then Take ran... Take a place, daddy-o. Take yeah. a place, daddy-o, which means get lost. Yeah. I think they then ran with it. Yeah. And I think, they, you know, the writers had fun with it. And I thought they were, I think they were just having a bit of a laugh. And I think there was a little bit of, we're putting these words into the mouths of Shirley Ann Field and Peter yeah. McHenry. And they're like, these are the two poshest people on earth. You know, it, it's, yeah, this is going to sound great. Yeah. So one thing Dave says is, uh, he says it about Nicole when he meets Nicole. He says, dig me. I'm a cat from the Can Can Kennel Club. Yeah. What, what? the <laughs> hell? What, what did that... I mean, what? I What's he talking about? And I think one thing Jennifer does do, because she, she has a fair amount of, of slang as well, but she can she can carry it off, I think, slightly better just because she does look... We haven't mentioned anything about how she looks, and I guess she does look mm. a little like, like Bardell. She's, she's she does blonde. Like she's got those kind of full pouty lips. Yeah. And she, boy, can she pout with those lips. You yeah, know what I mean? She is, she's really. a born pouter, um, and not in a sexy sense, in a real kind of truculent sense. Yeah, she's a brat. She is a brat. She is a pouty, pouty brat, but as you, as you say, only 15, and certainly the kind of the sexual heart of the film, I guess. Yeah. But she's, she says things like, dig this, and dig this real. <laughs> <laughs> which I kind of love but m- actually my favourite bit of dialogue is is something that Paul says the dad and I oh, don't yes, remember this really? at the end of the party so he's already said to her square what do you mean by square and anyway he comes back in the middle of the party that Nicole mm. has almost slept through and all kinds of havoc is, is going yep. on you know Jennifer's strip teasing there's Adam Faith singing there's another band Dodo's had a song about is it legal and she <laughs> yeah, lip syncs to it very badly yeah really? yeah yeah. Anyway, yeah, very appropriate. Well, yeah. Anyway, so Paul chases them out the house to the the strains of, "Get out of here, you jiving scum!" Yes, that's <laughs> right, you jiving scum. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's an interesting, an interesting little moment in that party scene because um, yeah, while we're on the party scene. Because it's, you know, it's it's the generation gap in conflict. This whole film is, you know, yeah. it's obsessed with a few various things. Uh, sex, underage sex is definitely one of them. Um, and teenage Argo is definitely another. But another thing that it's obsessed with is the generation gap. Yeah. And, you know, the generations come together finally in, in you know, uh, David's very strange and, by the way, very minimalistic, you know, modernistic flat. Um, and... Um, all hell breaks loose and, you know, dad is the man who has to come in and give order. You know, when stepmom tells them all to get out, because yeah, yeah. she's the same age as them, pretty much, they all ignore her. Um, and at one point, um, Adam Faith's character, Dave, is really unpleasant to her. She slaps him in the face and it's a good job that Paul uh, that um, Paul comes back because he's going to punch her. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I, I thought this was really brave because until that point... Um, Dave is largely sort of, you know, represented in a sympathetic way. There's this slightly strange obsession throughout the film 
Um, <laughs> the, you know, with alcohol is really bad. Uh, this is another sub theme. So, you know, Peter McHenry's character has, a, you know, a, a drink problem, uh, a drink problem basically meaning he quite likes a drink from time to time. And, you know, put, you know, Dave is on him every single yeah. time. Um, he's, he's the sort of moral centre of the group and he's very puritanical for someone, you know, who calls himself a, a beat, beatnik. Yeah. But on the whole, you know, he sings these really cool Eddie Cochran songs. He has good hair. He has a nice jacket. <laughs> and, you know, and, and he likes, you know, Jennifer and, you know, that they have this bit of, you know, frisson, which is all a bit sort of which one will, which one will be most rebellious. But at that moment, he can't be a sympathetic character anymore because he's going to punch a woman. Yeah. Boyfriend and girlfriend, are they? I mean, no. He seems pretty puritanical about sex or anything because he doesn't. He doesn't. He's so repressed, gay, isn't he? Oh yeah, is that how it is? Because I've um, just made that up. Okay, but... but but plaid shirt played by Oliver Reed. Oh my uh, God. Actually, I'm watching Gary at the moment. He's also got a plaid shirt. <laughs> it's true. In 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 uh, tribute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And I've brought in my model of uh, City 2000. So there you go, beautiful. We're totally cosplaying Beat Girl today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all, uh, Plaid Shirt is, is interested in Jennifer and Adam Faith's character is always kind of chasing him away, but mm. not because it seems he's interested in her particularly himself, just just maybe he's protective of her or something, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting, there's lots of interesting little subplots which I think make this a good film. Um, you, yes, you know, so we've we've pointed out all the flaws, you know, the, the plot doesn't really make sense. You can't even really quite work out whether the action happens over the space of 24 hours or 24 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's really difficult to work that out. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the dialogue is quite plainly not authentic beatnik dialogue. Uh, it plainly sounds silly coming out of the mouths of you know plummy English people, um, and all these flaws. David Farrer is 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 very disappointing. You know, Noel Adam can't act at all. On and on and on. However, the depiction of Soho is fantastic. Um, the cinematography is brilliant. Um, the dance scenes are stunning. Yeah, they're really good. Um, uh, the rock, the original rock and roll songs from Adam Faith are great. The original music by John Barry, um, John Barry, of course, who later came to great fame, uh, penning and playing James Bond themes. Uh, this is his first ever film, it and, is great, and the music is brilliant, and the theme tune is absolutely brilliant. Um, and there, there, you know, Christopher Lee is um, appropriately threatening um, in a really sort of. He uses that fact that he is coldly handsome, um, that thing that made him cast as Dracula, in a way that makes him a pimp you want to boo every yeah. time he comes on screen. Do you remember last week I was calling him a pimpresario? A pimpresario. We <laughs> love that word. So I guess that brings a little bit on to something I wanted to say about Soho uh, before we get to the end of the film. Mm. So. One really interesting thing about Soho in London in the early 1960s is it was sort of the cut, the sort of uh, hub of what was going on in British youth culture um, between the time when Elvis came along and changed everything uh, yeah. by bringing you know English rock and roll, and the Beatles came along and changed everything again and kind of invented this thing we call rock, which was slightly different, and. 
At that time, the pop stars were people like Adam Faith and Tommy Steele and Cliff Richard and Marty Wilde. And you can probably read into the fact of those names is they they were not their original names. Uh Um, And the place where basically there was... A place, two places a hundred yards from each other, really, uh, in the centre of London where the whole of the music business ran its business for, during those years. One of them was a street called uh, Denmark Street, oh, yeah. uh, one side of Charing Cross Road, which was known as Tin Pan Alley. And Tin Pan Alley was where all the music publishers and all the little studios that recorded demos and all the music instrument shops were. And the music industry came to that street to do its business, meet each other, network, etc., uh, you know, and record stuff and yeah. write songs. Yeah. Um, 100 yards down the road is, or over the road, I should say, Charing Cross Road, is Soho. And Soho, um, the first sort of idea of a teen scene in Britain was really around the coffee bar yeah. because you couldn't go to the pub. Um, and in these coffee bars, they, they would put a jukebox and you know they would they start to get a hip reputation um they, they weren't just a place where you went for a cup of coffee yeah you know it now everybody goes for a cup of coffee but at that point in england you know older people didn't go for a cup of coffee yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was something that i still don't yeah well you still don't actually, <laughs> do you? that's true you don't um but anyway yeah so um and what they would do um in particular and i'm this is where i'm going to pimp presarios um there was one particularly legendary figure called larry parnes who was the simon cowell of his day and what he would do is hang around the coffee bars and particularly one legendary coffee bar called the two eyes spotting talent yeah this talent always happened to be young and male oh oh, okay that's a surprise what can i tell you (laughs) and he would find someone like um oh god what was cliff richard's real name um harry webb harry webb Think, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can sell him to the little girls. Um, have a chat with him, find out if he could play a musical instrument, and then say, your name is now Cliff Richard. Yeah. But that was how pop was made at the time, and that's how British pop stars were made, till the Beatles came along and absolutely laid waste to this yeah, overnight. Yeah. And all of these people fell out of favour overnight. Um, you know, that whole idea, Beatles introduced the idea that talent wrote its own songs. Yeah. This, this was just complete news to anyone in Britain. Nobody wrote their own yeah, songs. Yeah. Uh, they had them written for them by someone that Larry Parnes put them with on, on Tim yeah, Alley. Yeah. And, you know, and who wrote them for a character called Marty Wilde. Yeah. Um, and so um, that beat girl, long story short, is trying to... Ta- <laughs> Sorry, that was a long story. Sorry. I didn't really manage to cut the long story short, did I? You should have told me that 90% ago. Yeah, sorry. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is... Beat Girl, I don't think, is an authentic picture of what teenagers exactly lived like in 1960. But what it is, is an authentic picture of what British youth culture was obsessed with in 1960, right, okay. which is a slightly different yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, it was obsessed with London. It was obsessed with Soho. It was obsessed with sex, but slightly repressed sex yeah. because Elvis Presley had introduced sex to the kids. Yeah. Um, in a manner of speaking, and um, <laughs> and quite literally. <laughs> and anyway, um, so you know, it, it's so that 
And it's very telling that Adam Faith, even though, you know, his songs that were big hits in Britain sounded nothing like Eddie Cochran, it's very interesting that he sounds like Eddie Cochran in this film because the British pop scene at that point was obsessed with Eddie Cochran, who had just died while on tour in Britain. And Eddie Cochran was an icon for them, uh, much as Buddy Holly was, more than Elvis. So it's, you know... Even then, they, they wrote songs for him in this film that sounded like Eddie yeah, Cochran yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than Adam Faith. And um, so th- there's something there, I think, about Soho. And there's one little scene, um, which I'll just mention, where it's an actual reality scene. It's not a set. It's basically shot from a car driving through Soho. And there's this wonderful moment for me where it drives past Bar Italia. Oh, yeah. And 60 years later, Bar Italia is still in Soho, yeah, where it yeah. always was. And it's just this memory of my, you know, the thing. Of my mum, my mum used to go to Soho yeah, in, in, yeah. in the early nineteen sixties before I was born, and you know, it, it's it still looks a little bit like, you know, yeah. it looks in Beat Girl. It hasn't really changed that much. Yeah. I want to tell you a bit more about Gillian Hills. Can I tell you a bit yes, more about Gillian Hills? Yes, please do. Hills? I would like to know so, more about her. Um, she had a short acting career, but she was in some quite big things. She was in Blow Up, Antonioni's wow, film. Of she's she's in the yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. the threesome scene. Yes, and okay. she's in A Clockwork Orange, and again a potential threesome scene. I think Malcolm McDowell's character picks oh up two God, girls in a record shop. One of those is Gillian Hill, and one of those is Gillian Hills. Oh my lord! Um, after uh, Beat Girl. So those were a bit later. But after Beat Girls, she moved back to France and she became what was called a yeah, yeah, pop singer. So the tradition in pop until then in France was kind of chanson, very kind of traditional French, uh, je ne regrette rien type um, melodies. And she was part of this yeah, yeah movement based on yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was based on, it was based on, yeah, she she loves you. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and she had some hits along with, you know, the likes of, François Sardi and uh, Johnny Halliday they were the kind of faces of this and uh, one of her hits so as you know uh, what's wrong with this picture we are fans of Mad Men on this I don't know if you remember the scene in Mad, Mad Men where his, his French Canadian wife Megan sings a song to him this is the start of season oh five or something it's Don Draper's party in his fancy apartment he's now yeah. married to Megan she's wearing this tiny little mini skirt and she gets up and she sings this song and it goes Zooby Zooby Zoo oh my Zooby God, Zooby Zoo that was a famous song. Gillian Hills song no way yeah um, and again <laughs> If you've wow. seen, have you seen the Queen's Gambit? That uh, I've never, never watched it. Okay, I've so never watched it to my shame. Well, it's, I mean, it's pretty good. But there's this scene uh, where she's. It's it's kind of cut to this song, which is about the engaged tone on a phone when you try and get through to somebody on the right. old phones, and it goes beep 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 beep. And this fo- this song is called Tut 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 Tut. That's a Gillian Hill song. That's wow. Right. So those those were her two kind of biggest hits, and so popular culture has kind of taken her to heart. Absolutely. Um. She gave up acting and singing kind of not long after that. Her, her, that was kind of over for her in mm. 1965 when she was 20. Wow. <laughs> it was done. Wow. And she became a book illustrator. Oh. And one of her big um, books that she illustrated was Flowers in the Attic, which I don't know if you remember that. It was a massive hit. It was a, a, but it's got a, a kind of illustration of a house with a, a girl's picture in one of the windows. Right. That was her. That was Gillian wow. Hills. She did that. She was married to Stuart Young, the music manager. Do you know him? No, nope, Managed know him. ACDC, Cindy <laughs> Lauper, like these big, these okay. big people. Okay, wow. And in Up to the Minute News, she's got a new album out this year. No. Yeah. She yeah. can't yeah. do. Yeah. She's, like, she's like 78 now, I think, 78. Um, but 
I listened to a bit of it online, and she is kind of it's kind of talking. Be honest. Be honest. I mean, it's 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 all right. It's not my not particularly my thing, but she's okay. kind of talking over. Well, kind of half singing, half talking. Uh, right. uh, along with this this guy who kind of plays music. English or French? English. Oh, English. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah. What an interesting life. Yeah. Blimey, Stuart Young. I'm I'm wondering, was he actually? Is he actually related to Angus Young? And and I wonder. You know, I don't. Anyway, I'm, yeah, vague memories of yeah rock trivia. <laughs> but anyway, that was good trivia. Um, and one thing I also wanted to mention because I wanted us to chat about it before we got to the last bit of the plot. Um, the strange, very strange, I have mentioned it, but the moral hypocrisy that runs through Beat Girl. Yeah. So on the one hand, we're getting this message that booze is wrong. Yeah. Sort of surreptitiously, drugs are wrong for the simple fact that no one's yeah, even no thinking one, about no doing them. Um, and, you know, and, and fighting is wrong or, you know, fighting is wrong, which is, which is fine. I mean, this is from a guy who was going to punch a woman in the face, you know, five minutes yeah. ago. But <laughs> at, at one particular point, um, a bunch of Ted's turn up. Now, again, if, if you're not listening to this in, in England or if you are, you know, under the age of, I don't know, 50, um, you may not know what Ted's or Teddy Boys are. It was a, a youth cult uh, born in the 1950s. Uh, they liked rock and roll and they wore uh, this sort of clobber, which was in influenced by Edwardian suits. But they had a reputation straight away for being working class men who liked to fight. Suddenly, right at the end of Beat Girl, almost right at the end of it, some Ted's turn up. For no reason whatsoever, they smash up the car belonging to Dave and his gang. Um, and then, then Dave basically comes out and instead of, you know, trying to punch one of them or either running away, he goes, fighting's not cool, guys. And they go, all right, we'll go then. <laughs> it's like, what? Why were you, why were these Ted's here? What what were you yeah. trying to say? There's the the whole scene that that Lindsay mentioned, and I'm going to get her to talk about it because I want to hear what she thinks about it. The extraordinary oh. scene with Gillian Hills, Jennifer, watching a stripper in the strip club. Yeah, I mean that that I, I that was much more explicit than I thought it was going to be, and not in terms of. Like body parts, you see, but the the, the woman who is stripping uh, is 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 working with a, a scarf, a really long kind of chiffon scarf, and boy, the places this scarf gets to. I mean, it's it's kind of she. Uh, at one point, she holds it very straight, like it's a three foot long phallus in mm. in front of her, mm. but most of the time, it's kind of really quite wedged far into her butt cheeks. Yeah. Um, and she's and she's dancing with it with it that way and it's this isn't a scene that you're kind of cutting to from other things you're focusing on it for probably a good two or three minutes actually the the whole the whole length of the dance and the whole length of the scarf you're getting all the details about that and yeah Yeah. it's 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 quite explicit the two things that really hit me about that yes it's this is not oh you know people are getting on with the dialogue or the story and there's a stripper in the background this this is you know it's exactly the same as adam faith singing his song yeah this is the focus of the film for yeah. a couple of minutes secondly the very first move she's doing is what we now know as twerking oh right yeah that's what she's doing right okay. and it, it, you know it's as it i'd say the way she's doing it is more explicit than anybody on a rap video that i've yeah, seen yeah yeah um and thirdly it's cut with Gillian hill's character jennifer looking at her with what looks like undisguised lust. Yeah, actually, yeah. And it's odd. Now, I, I guess the reasoning, which we're going to find out, because we're going to have a bit more plot, um, is 
to cut a long story short, um, Jennifer uh, is now so kind of alienated and, and all that sort of thing that she finally decides to follow her curiosity and go back to the strip club um, to see, you know, about whether it might be a good idea to start stripping. Um, and um, Kenny um, King, Christopher Lee, um, soon makes it very clear he starts to get a uh, you know, gently grabby and makes it clear that he does not expect her to just take her clothes off. Uh, he yeah. expects her to sex work and she starts to get creeped out. And the next thing we hear is screams and cries and, and whatever. And um, Christopher Lee has been stabbed. And not a moment too soon. And not a moment too soon. <laughs> but he's been stabbed in the back. Obviously, there is hysteria and panic. At the same time, um, Paul and Nicole uh, have worked out that she's gone to the strip club. So they, they, they're running through Soho and they're standing outside this club going, oh, my God, you, you know, what should we do? Should we go in and get her? What's going on? And um, uh, we're all convinced, the audience, oh, my God, well, you know, amazing feminist revenge thing. She's just murdered the pimp. This is incredible. Um, but in fact, Greta who we met earlier in the film, steps out from behind a curtain. Uh, Greta is her, his, has been uh, Kenny King's long-time girlfriend, stroke madam, stroke... Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> She's decided that she absolutely despises him for trying to pull a 15-year-old girl into prostitution and she has murdered him. Oh, do you think that's... I think she's just jealous that she's getting replaced. I don't think she's got a moral issue about oh, it. I think, no, I think I it's think just, just jealous revenge. No, I think it's... I think, yeah, the way she presents her, she doesn't present herself as, I hate you, you bitch, you were trying to take my man. She, she's like, you know, this, this guy's had it coming. This was too far. This was too far. This was one thing too far. And yeah. um, we don't... Uh, in the whole tone of the film, we have no idea what happened to no, Greta. No, it's not. Matter. It's not interested. <laughs> where, uh, this was the time, I think, where they were still hanging women. In, in, does she get hanged? I don't no. know. She goes on to live happily ever after in City 2000. I hope away so. Away from every pimpresario. So. But there is a, a lovely slice. I actually thought the last time I saw it, I thought it was a bit darker uh, than, than it, it is. But watching it now, no, it's not quite as dark as I thought. But basically... Um, the family, the nuclear family, is reunited, and uh, with their arms round each other, uh, Paul, Nicole, and Jennifer go walking off into Soho. Um, there is a little bit of darkness that comes with um, the quite fine. Uh, there, there's some ways that the end uh, can be presented on a screen that makes you feel, ooh, you know, some fonts. Uh, born, uh, you know, I don't want to get too nerdy, but some fonts are more disturbing than others. I don't know. <laughs> but, no, yeah, for, uh, at all costs, do not get too nerdy. Yeah. But, but tell us about the fonts, No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not actually going to start talking about fonts, I promise you. But what I am saying is they walk off into the Soho night, but the fact is that the music is playing the Beat Girl theme again, and the Beat Girl theme is aggressive and dark. It's mm. not you know, hearts and flowers and nicey, nicey, nicey. It doesn't have that bit of music at the end that goes, da, 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 everything is okay. Um, it has this music that goes, dun, da, dun, da, 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 <laughs> and makes you just think, oh, yeah, everything's not okay, is yeah. it? And the very last scene, just as the very first scene in the film was uh, the kids dancing in a basement club, the very last scene in the film is kids dancing in a basement club because in the end, this is what this movie is most interested in. And uh, I think Beat Girl was uh, one of the first commercially uh, released soundtracks um, on, oh, really? on a long-playing album in England um, and reached number 11 in the charts. I'm not surprised. It's a, it's a groovy set of sounds, man. Absolutely. So It yes. sends me over and out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
the the very last line in the film. So those are the mm. last visuals, but the very last line in the film, I don't I don't kind of really get it because the Teds have broken Dave's car. They've also broken his guitar. Yeah, and so he picks up his like dangling neck by the guitar, throws it in a rubbish bin, and then says, "This is the last line of the film." He says, "Funny, only squares know where to go." Yeah, I uh, have what? not got a clue. Honestly, what? that is it's one of the weirdest last lines because it because it's really framed. As if, as if, as if, and here's the moral of the film. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, funny, only squares know where to go. What? Yeah. Uh, what's it got to do with a broken guitar? What's it got to do with what just happened outside the strip club? Yeah. What's it got to do with anything? I don't know. Maybe it's his new spoken word album. Because <laughs> <laughs> his guitar's broken. Yeah. Peyote in Chiselhurst. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I just an insane film. But 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 you were saying at the beginning of this, Lindsay. Yeah. Um, you don't think it's as weird as I think it is. But I don't know. Firstly, do you hold to that? And secondly, do you think it's great though? Well, as you know, we like to give uh, all of our films a very specific rating system, and we are rating Beat Girls out of Daddios. So, <laughs> out of ten Daddios for quality, out of ten Daddios for weirdness, Gary, what do you reckon? Seven daddios for quality, eight daddios for weirdness. I love it. I, th- I think we have presented it slightly as so bad it's good, and I want to really underline yeah, that it's not. I agree. It's not that. It's not so bad. It's quite good. right to say. And that. I think it's. I think it's an excellent quality film. So I'm giving it eight daddios for quality. I'm not sure how weird it is, although you have persuaded me over the course of this. But I'm going to give it seven daddios for weirdness. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. But uh, yeah. Nonetheless, it is a, a great film and uh, we urge you to see it and we urge you to frog along to the theme tune. Now, get out of here, you jiving scum. <laughs> Till next time. See you next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert. Thank you.